we're set. We're, this is a 14-week study. We've finished seven weeks, and we have seven more to go. So we're right at the midpoint. So if you're just joining us, this is a great time to jump in. If you'll go ahead and open your Bibles to Deuteronomy 12, we're going to be going through three chapters today. So there's a lot here and not a lot of time to cover everything in the depth that we might like to. Um, I've been standing up here five minutes and Randall has already asked me something um, about something that I had no intention of even mentioning. So we have rabbit holes to hit and scriptures to read and connections to make. So... um, We'll, we'll have to move pretty fast. Um, these chapters, Moses is, is literally laying down the law here. And these chapters show how Israel is to be distinct from the, the nations around them. Um, the distinctiveness, as Philip Camp writes in the book that, we, that is, we've been kind of taking our inspiration for this class from, is not meant to be self-serving or elitist but it's meant as a means to glorifying God. And ultimately, the chapters we're going to look at today show how Israel is to be distinct in how they worship, distinct in where they worship, distinct in whom they worship, and then distinct in their morning rituals and in eating. Uh, Chapter 12 deals with the ritual rules of worship. Chapter 13 deals with social rules about religion. And then chapter 14 deals with cleanliness and tithing rules. So let's start with the first part of chapter 12. If I could get somebody to read the first 10 verses of chapter 12, that would be great. Let's go back to verse 2, which says, Destroy completely all the places on the high mountains, on the hills and under every spreading tree, where the nations you are dispossessing worship their gods. When, when I read that, there's, there's a contemporary parallel that just immediately jumps into my mind when I read that passage. And I, I, I wonder what jumps into your minds when you, when you see that, if there's anything from a more modern standpoint that you think of? Yeah. Well, the, the destruction um, that 
Muslims are doing when they go in to Christian sites and any kind of sacred site that's not there. Yeah, it, it, exactly. The, my, my first thought was remember when, when the Taliban took control of Afghanistan, I remember there was, there was one of the, what was considered the, the wonders of the ancient world, and they went in and just wiped it out, and it was gone. And I remember how appalled we were that anybody would do something like that. And, but that's, that's the language that, that we're getting. That's the kind of language that we're getting here for God and his people as they go in to set up this new nation inside of this land. And, I mean, and it's, it's, it's so different from the culture that we find ourselves in where, it, where it's a very pluralistic society where different religions have to live next door to each other and get along. And... And also, we tend to be very preservation-minded, me especially, because I'm very into history and in the archiving of stories. And so the thought of going in and wiping out cultures just brings the, I mean, that, that just goes against so many things. But that's really, I mean, this is, this is wipe out their names kind of language. Um, and, and, and so I, I, one of the things that I wonder when I read this, and I don't have a great answer for it, is, is how we reconcile that kind of language with where, we find, with where we find ourselves now and the kind of society we find ourselves in. Because we're in a very different setting now. Israel actually is, is going into a very different setting because all of, all of this first section reminds me, I, I taught school one year, fresh out of college, and I remember one of the veteran teachers taking me aside and giving me a little advice as a first-timer, which basically boiled down to this, clamp down hard the first part of the year. Don't cut the students any slack, don't let them get away with anything, be intimidating, scare them a little, and you, know, you can let up a little bit later in the year, but if you don't do it early on, you will never have control of the class. And, and I don't know that that's what Moses and God are trying to do here with these instructions, but it sure reads the way that the really hardcore teachers that I remember, would they'd come in that first day of class and go, this is how it's going to be. You make sure you have this stuff. You do not do this. You do not do this. And that first month of class, you didn't get away with anything. Because if you'll note, they're coming from a time when things were a little bit more lax when it came to worship. Moses says, you are not to do as we're doing now, where everyone does as they see fit. It's very much, we are going into different circumstances, and it is important that we do things this way under these new circumstances. So how do we, how do we apply this kind of concept into our circumstances today? I mean, obviously, I wouldn't recommend going around and destroying everybody else's things of worship. Um, but we do find ourselves in a place with many gods, with many spiritual and religious rituals that don't match up with ours. And so, how do we, how how do we put those things together where we've got 
a different kind of circumstance where we're having to get along with people, but yet as a community we are called to be this radically different from everything that we see around us. Any thoughts? Well, I think part of it is that the Old Testament is much more of a physical representation, right. images, things they could see and touch, versus, you know, when the Samaritans uh, encounter Jesus, and they say, where's the right place to worship, here or in Jerusalem? And they say, it doesn't matter. They worship the spirit and the truth. So there's a difference, you know, worshiping God as a spirit versus looking for something you can see and touch and, and bow down to an object. Yeah. I think one man aspect. Yeah. And, and I will admit that I was so well indoctrinated into Church of Christ thinking that my the immediate place that I go to when I read these passages is, okay, not like the Pentecostals, not like the Catholics, not like the Presbyterians, which is, which is not what's going on here. But that, I just, I, I hate to say it, but that's, that's the first place my mind goes, and I really have to pull myself away from that kind of thinking to really think not so much about different ways of worshiping our God, but different, way, different ways of worshiping other gods. Um, well, in that sense, then, almost the starting place, you have, you have got to know what he is requiring of you, yeah. or you'll, you'll end up with, with totally missing yeah, absolutely. And, and one thing, it's, it's worth noting that there's nothing here about how to treat other nations when you're going into, when either, when either you're going into their land that's going to stay their land, or when you are dealing with them. There's, you know, he's, he's certainly not saying hang bacon on their doors or slap baloney on their cars just because they built a mosque down the street. This is not that at all. But he does say you must not worship the Lord your God in their way. Yeah. And one, you know, the closest I see to this is say the Amish, where they've withdrawn, uh, you know, and forsaken modern conveniences. So, I mean, that's one approach we can, you know, with the founder of Domino's built his little city in Florida where. I guess if you're not a conservative Roman Catholic, you're not very comfortable there, you know. So one one approach is withdrawal, you know, they're like what four, I can't remember. There's you know, this whole I couldn't do Christ and culture, but kind of four different approaches that we can take with culture. Yeah. And I think that's where this comes in. We gotta decide what's the appropriate way that we either engage or separate ourselves or influence culture yeah. around us. And, and, and I think that the answers are different for different communities in, in the same way that we've seen that we see them worshiping one way on this side of the promised land, they're going to be worshiping a different way on the other side of the promised land because they're under different circumstances. And, and, and the Amish, the Amish is always so interesting to me because they are way more conservative than I would think they would have to be, but you don't hear... You don't hear a lot of negative press about the Amish. I mean, they they have, as a, on the whole, they have done the making yourself very obviously different from everybody else. They've done a good job of that. Well, you know, 
one thing that's interesting that you bring this up is because uh, if you look at the Jehovah's Witness phenomenon, uh, <clears throat> for a long time, I thought that Jehovah's Witness was done with the African American. Because I, I have been, they've always knocked on my door. <laughs> and the Jehovah's Witness friends, I'm saying, there was a, there was a, a, a white Jehovah's Witness. And I said, man, I didn't know that y'all integrate. He said, Jenkins, it's not a, it's not the nation of Islam. It's, it's a religious thing. And I was like, wow, I never knew it. But in a lot of ways, the face of Jehovah's Witnesses uh, have become, have become an African American man knocking on the door, telling you not to vote, trying to get you to read the walk. Yeah. And uh, in their own life, I've noticed that most of these cats really do really believe. It. I mean, they're really, it's not even. Not a halfway thing. Yeah. Because you talk about the Church of Christ, like it's very similar to the kind of separatist way that we've been set up. Because I can't imagine, like, here are three more things I find to be amazing is that we have relationships with Muslims and other faith uh, traditions. Because the way that I grew up, man, we didn't even profit from this thing. Yeah. So. Fletcher? Uh, my first thought is these are instructions to the Hebrew people pre first century and not instructions to Christians in the first century or the 21st century. Sure. And if I look at Jesus, it would seem that his attitude is more to respect other people, even people of other religions at least. That's the way I take, take it. And uh, not that I have to go out and destroy them. And nothing that they do necessarily means that that's going to uh, violate the way I want to worship. Right. Absolutely. Alan? And just as I'm trying to process this, I start thinking about the Forrest Gump movie where he comes in and Jenny's throwing rocks at the house that she was abusing. He says, sometimes there just aren't enough rocks. And he goes out and he destroys that house. Because it was a place of yeah. evil. Right? Mm-hmm. And so, in, in reading through you know, the, the history of Israel, you, know, you see where the Assyrians and the Babylonians who weren't uh, nice people, God used them to bring judgment on Israel for uh, the evil that they were conducting. And so then I back up and I think about Israel coming into the land of Canaan. There's nations that God left alone, you know, Edom, left alone, right? Yeah. So although this is a fulfillment of the promise of Israel, it's also judgment on the Canaanites and their practices. And so I think that the mindset of you know, they're not going in and te- tearing down the Baptist church. Right. right. They're going in and tearing down places where children are being sacrificed. They're going in and tearing down places that were evil. And so I think to put it in that perspective, how would we react today? I think if we found, you know, a home in the middle of Nashville where, where great evil was being taken place, I think we'd want to tear it down and remove it, remove that scar. It's, it's one thing to go to Tits and Eats and go, evil happened here. 800 years ago. Yeah. It's something else to say in the present time people have. So just from a mindset perspective, I, I appreciate the question because it's really making the process. What are they walking into here and what would be an equivalent today? Yeah. The thoughts. Okay. Let's go ahead and somebody read from verse 11 through the end of the chapter. Chapter 12, 11 to the end. Okay, thank you. Yeah. 
Then you shall bring everything I command you to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. Your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and your donations, and all the choice votive gifts that you vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice with the Lord your God, you together with your sons and your daughters, your male and female slaves, and the Levites who reside in your towns, since they have no allotment or inheritance with you. Take care that you do not offer your burnt offerings at a place you happen to see, but only at the place the Lord will choose in one of your tribes. There you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do everything I command you. Yet whenever you desire, you may slaughter and eat meat within any of your towns, according to the blessing that the Lord your God has given you. The unclean and clean may eat of it, as they would of gazelle or deer. The blood, however, you must not eat. You shall pour it out on the ground like water. Nor may you eat within your towns the tithe of your grain, your wine, and your oil, the firstlings of your herds, and your flocks, or any of your votive gifts that you vow, your free will offerings, or your donations. These you shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God in the place the Lord your God will choose, you together with your son and your daughter, and male and female slaves, and the Levites resident in your town, rejoicing in the presence of the Lord your God in all of your undertakings. Take care that you do not neglect the Levites as long as you live in your land. When the Lord your God enlarges your territory as he has promised you, and you say, I'm going to eat some meat. Because you wish to eat meat, you may eat meat wherever you have the desire. If the place where the Lord your God would choose to put his name is too far from you, and you slaughter as I have commanded you any of your herd or flock that the Lord has given you, then you may eat within your towns whenever you desire. Indeed, just as gazelle or deer is eaten, you may eat it. The unclean and the clean alike may eat it. Only be sure that you not eat the blood, for the blood is the life, and you shall not eat the life with the meat. Do not eat it, you shall pour it out on the ground like water. Do not eat it, so that all may go well with you and your children after you, as you do what is right inside the Lord. But the sacred donations that are due from you and your votive gifts you shall bring to the place the Lord will choose. You shall present your burnt offerings, both the meat and the blood, on the altar of the Lord your God. And the blood you of your other sacrifices you shall pour out beside the altar of the Lord your God, but the meat you may eat. Be careful to obey all these words that I command you today, so that it may go well with you, and with your children after you forever, that you will be doing what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. When the Lord your God has cut off before you the nations whom you are about to enter to dispossess them, when you have dispossessed them and live in their land, take care that you are not snared into imitating them. For after they have been destroyed before you, do not inquire concerning their God, saying, Why do the nations worship their gods? I also want to do the same. You must not do the same for the Lord your God, because every abhorrent thing the Lord hates they have done for their gods. They would even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. You must diligently observe everything I command you and do not add to it or take anything from it. Now, which goes exactly to what you were talking about with the Canaanites. Um, a lot of this seems to be geographical in nature. As they go in, they're going to spread out, they're going to be landowners, and the, he's kind of separating the notion of eating meat and offering sacrifices. Um, but it's also at the very beginning of it is the, the second place in a matter of just a few verses where Moses mentions the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. And that's what Randall brought up that I, and asked me about that I had no intention of mentioning. Um, I sort of read this as a foreshadowing of the temple, 
but hadn't really thought much beyond that. And what were you? But this is specifically referred to Shiloh. Yeah. Because Shiloh was where he chose for 300 years, the first 300 years. Shiloh was where the tabernacle was. And it, it strikes me too. It, the, the whole place where he chooses his name is about proximity. How close you can get to God. And all these people would go off in these fun little hamlets. But it says you bring your firstlings, your first fruits, to the place where you're going to offer that sacrifice. And today, at Shiloh, one of the most fascinating things to me, and Bob can attest to this, is that there's a huge pile of, I spend my whole time while the guys doing all that, there's a huge pile of broken pottery that's 3,000 years old at Shiloh because you put everything in a pot and you bring it to Shiloh and then you say, I'm not carrying that pot home. You break it. It's easier to make a new pottery. And so there's all this pottery where they brought their first ones, their first fruits to sacrifice to God. So I, I still haven't gotten to the name part. That's That still blows me away. There's four times in this chapter yeah. he refers to where God's going to show you. Yeah. Yeah. Brian, I think a major theme of this chapter is about proximity and location and geography. If you go through and just read all the, the location names, it's just full of, you know, this is the place, 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 your land, your town. It's just, it's just full of that. <clears throat> and going back to the first section, um, in destroying all the holy sites and, and things of the other gods' temples, not only are you putting an end to the, <clears throat> those modes of, of worship, but you're putting an end to the dwelling place of those gods. You know, I, I think the location was so tied to the specific god that if you wipe out the location, you're essentially wiping out that god. So it's akin to <clears throat> when a king would come to power, that king would have to do the work of you know, putting down all the other uh, people that had a claim to that throne. And many times it was a, a nephew or a cousin or a brother, or a, but they would wipe those people out so that no one else had a claim. And I think that that's a little bit of what's happening here. God is saying you've got to wipe out all these other gods' places and temples so that so that they don't have a claim, so that you don't embrace their practices of like child sacrifice and things like that. And so that we can set up a place for the one true God to tabernacle with his people and have that proximity. But I think it's all about uh, the different gods and how they dwell in their places and how the people are able to access those gods and those places. Yeah. Go ahead. With, this, uh, with the dietary things, did any of it at all have to do with health? Like, was it any, any of the dietary instructions about the well-being? Probably, and, and, and I've, I've certainly seen people make cases for that over the years. Um, I, I don't know enough about, I don't know, an, I, I don't know enough about nutrition or about um, kosher laws or any of that to, to really stand up here and make those cases, but I, I've, I've certainly seen people do that. You know, if that part makes total sense to me. I mean, as a veterinarian, you study this over and over, especially with pork and trichinella, trichinosis, or some of these tapeworms. Yeah. If, if you don't cook appropriately, I mean, it can cause severe disease or yeah. leading to death. So I've always looked at that thinking, I, I bet God had a definite reason for this, especially with pork, why it was so important. Yeah. Because I wrestled with that. But why, why did it have to be a clothing 
hooved animal, you know, that you look. And then if you look at cloven hooved animals and all the diseases that are involved, and if it's not appropriately handled or cooked, yeah. you can't lead to death. So I, that's how I reasoned it. Yeah. Well, and if, if you look at one of uh, the more interesting ones to me, the uh, the prohibition against the flying insects, right, right. Uh, because because there are some um, there are some exceptions in Leviticus. Where it's like locusts, grasshoppers, crickets, have at them, but other flying things, no. You know, I mean, and you you think of you, you, you think about what the other flying things are, you know, flies, and you don't want to be. You know, you don't want to be deep frying the flies, um, but locusts—that's a whole different. You know, I mean, that—that's a whole different ball game. Um, well, let's go, let's go read some of that in um, chapter thirteen now, verses one through eighteen, and we'll we'll get all of the uh, the cleanliness and food laws. Yeah, no, in, yeah, no, no enriched flour, no added sugar. <laughs> um, has anybody got uh, first eighteen verses of verse of uh, chapter thirteen? <laughs> Go ahead. Suppose there are prophets among you, or those who dream dreams about the future. Is that right? Um, yes. Just as he swore to your ancestors. 
The Lord your God will be merciful only if you listen to his voice and keep all his commands that I am giving you today, doing what pleases him. So it's actually chapter 14 that gets into the cleanliness laws. So we'll, we'll be back to the food in a bit. But um, you know, this, this is really a continuation of, of chapter 12 in terms of the intensity of it. I mean, he talks about what, if you, if you have a community that decides to go off and worship other gods, and, and, and he basically says, if they're going to act like Canaanites, if they're going to affiliate with the Canaanites, then you treat them the way you treat the Canaanites, and you you deal with them just as if they were Canaanites. Um, Earlier earlier on in the chapter, just because a prophet says something and gets it right doesn't mean he's from God. In fact, he says God may be using that to test you. And if it's your brother or your sister who tries to get you to follow other gods, not only do they have to be put to death, but if they're your family, you have to throw the first stone. I mean, that's, that's one of the ways of saying... Of, of showing the community that you have no part of that. I mean, this is, this is serious business, and God recognizes that this is going to be an issue when you're going into a place with this history of all these other gods. And it's important that you, A, look different from all the other nations that are worshiping other gods, and B, that everybody knows you're that different. And we don't have, you know, we don't we don't have the, the the statues and the physical representations so much now that they did back then. But you do have to wonder how much we pay homage to gods like materialism or individualism, you know, the, the cultural gods, consumerism, nationalism, um, and those are at different times and in different places they get really kind of it's hard it's hard to extricate the two from each other you know I, I was raised as a Roman Catholic and I could even as a child could never understand or rationalize how Catholics could um, get away with putting statues up in their their church and, and after you, you go and confess your sins to a priest they tell you to go up to the statue of Mary and say ten Hail Marys or something to me, even as a child, oh, all that seemed like, oh, I'm worshiping this statue, and I'm bowing before it. And how they could even rationalize that verb, those verses in Deuteronomy, with what, how we were to worship, yet they continue to do it centuries and centuries later. And it has never changed. No. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, and, and, and I think whether, whether it's paying homage to the physical representation or paying homage to the concept of you know of of, of being materialistic. Right. I, I mean, that's that's harder to see, yeah. which may make it harder to root out. I don't know. Right. Or how far do we take it when we like in our homes we have knickknacks and figurines and images of animals or people and that you know how far do you also? Yeah. Of course, we're not worshiping them, but they're in our houses, and God did say that you will not have any sort of image. Yeah. So if uh, so, there's a meme going around of Joel Osteen jumping off his uh, stage, running into the crowd and attacking this man who put it in the house. And they interviewed in this fake article. They asked him, "Why did he do that? He cracked open this book that is it, the book is terrible. It's awful." And they asked, "What's the book? The Bible, <laughs> right?" 
And I watched Osei. I watched Osei because I think he's, some of the things he says are very profound. But I don't know if, when you listen to something like this, is your Osteen a false prophet? Or is he a guy that's getting stuff wrong? Or is there a difference? Because so, yeah. so many times, like when I, when I think about it, a lot of really, really, really good guys. And once again, you talk about being raised church of Christ. There's a lot of wonderful people that I know that weren't church of Christ. But they just, I always wonder, like, were they wrong? Or were, this, were they choosing them to save me? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Because, like, what... Or is there a difference? Or if you want, are you automatically is Satan using your your ignorance as a way to manipulate people? I don't yeah. Know that sound ridiculous. Yeah. No. No. I mean, and it's 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 much easier it's much easier to read it than it is to live it, and that it is to to recognize it when it's somebody you know, and when it's somebody that you know has gotten something right, or you know that that does good things. That's that's yeah. It's it's much easier to read than it is to live. I think. Um, but uh, Philip, at, toward the end of the, the chapter in, the, in Camp's book, he writes, I would argue that if what we eat or the amount that we eat and what we wear or the expense and status attached to what we wear, evidences that we have indeed blended with the dominant culture and accepted its values of consumerism and materialism, then we may have to scale back to demonstrate the distinctiveness that Christ calls us to. Um, all right, so going on, going on to chapter 14, and I'll, I'll, read, I'll read the part about the clean and unclean food. It says, You are the children of the Lord your God. Do not cut yourselves or shave the front of your heads for the dead, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. Do not eat any detestable thing. These are the animals you may eat, the ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roe deer, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. You may eat any animal that has a divided hoof and choose the cud. However, of those that chew the cud or that have a divided hoof, you may not eat the camel, the rabbit, or the hyrax. Although they chew the cud, they do not have a divided hoof, so they are ceremonially unclean for you. The pig is also unclean. Although it has a divided hoof, it does not chew the cud. You are not to eat their meat or touch their carcasses. Of all the creatures living in the water, you may eat any that has fins and scales. But anything that does not have fins and scales, you may not eat. For, for you, it is unclean. You may eat any clean bird, but these you may not eat. The eagle, the vulture, the black vulture, the red kite, the black kite, any kind of falcon, any kind of raven, the horned owl, the screech owl, the gull, any kind of hawk, the little owl, the great owl, the white owl, the desert owl, the osprey, the cormorant, the stork, any kind of heron, the hoopoe, and the bat. All flying insects are unclean to you. Do not eat them. But any winged creature that is clean, you may eat. Do not eat anything you find already dead. You may give it to the foreigner residing in any of your towns, and they can eat it, or you may sell it to any other foreigner. But you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And then completely separate from all of those, do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. And that's one that's apparently important enough that it gets repeated two other times in the laws. So, I mean, that's, that's one, that's one, I mean, that winds up being one of the foundational kosher principles is not to mix meat and dairy. And so, I mean, that, so you've, you've got rabbinical teaching that goes beyond one goat, one mom to no meat, no milk. Don't put them together. If you're going to eat milk, or if you're going to drink milk and, or eat dairy and eat meat on the same day, 
you want to separate it by six hours, you want to put a meal, you want to put something in between it. I mean, they, they really took this one in and put a hedge around it. Um, to, me the, to, to me, the fascinating ones are the flying insects and that we've already talked about a little bit, but also don't eat the roadkill. Feel free to sell it to the foreigners. <laughs> And, 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 I don't, and I don't know if that's a health thing or if that's a ceremonially unclean, because there's one point in here where he makes a point of saying it's ceremonially unclean. So it's not necessarily, it may not necessarily be that it's unhealthy, but it's, we just stay away from that because, because it's part of the ritual. But I like the roadkill rule. Um, all right, so if somebody could finish the chapter, verses 22 through 29. And this is about tithing. Anybody? Okay, thank you. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Each of tithe of your grain, new wine, and oil, your firstborn of your herds, and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place you will choose you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. But if that place is too distant, and you have been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe because the place of the Lord which Jesus put his name is too far away, you exchange your tithe for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. Use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. So the part of this that I want to focus on is the every three years, you're supposed to bring your tithes into the central location, and the whole nation stores the tithes in this central location, so that a group that that four groups of people can be taken care of. What are the four groups? Widows, oh, Levites, yeah, orphans, Levites, and. Yeah, foreigners, yeah. And so it says, if you do this, Moses says, the Lord God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And this is, this is part of the inclusiveness that we see throughout, throughout Deuteronomy, that, that people without or people at some kind of disadvantage are to be included in everything. Because So what, what do all four of those groups, the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows, what do they all have in common? No land allotment. That's right. They're not landowners. So I, you know, I, I, I think this may, this may be more than just these are people that might be at a disadvantage or you want to take care of the poor or whatever. I, I mean, I, I, the more I read this, the more I look, it's, it's a land thing. And they're going into the land 
and these are the people that for whatever reason don't or can't own land. And, and, and I don't want to extrapolate a whole lot of modern day policy from these passages because I don't think that's what they're for. But I will offer this as an overarching filter of a way to look at this because now, as back then, if you don't or you can't own land someplace, you're likely to be at the mercy of the larger community or you're pretty much screwed. And these passages suggest that a community-based plan that all the landowners in the community pay into is a good way of addressing that issue. Well, they can own land, but they can't rent a park. Well, I see what you're saying. Well, but. Yeah, they, 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 and, and I think in, in, our, in our community, there aren't a lot of people that can't own land. There's a lot of people, well, or, or there, there are not a lot of people that are legally prohibited from owning land, but with the economic structure that's set up, there's a lot of people that for one reason or another don't or can't afford to own land. And... Yeah, I mean, so so it's it's a little bit of a different scenario because there, you know, you just you weren't allowed to own land if you were, you know, the, the Levites just you couldn't do it. But here, it's you know, in, in in America, it's a little it's a little bit different. But economically, you've still kind of kind of got the same situation where if you don't own land, I mean, I I have a friend that wanted to print, he lives in Austin, wanted to print up T-shirts for Austin and Nashville um, that said basically, Nashville, own the land or say goodbye. And if you've watched what goes on, you know, what's going on in this town right now and things that you've known for decades that are suddenly gone one day and they're building up something new and, and I'm, not, I'm not criticizing that, I'm just saying if you don't own the land you don't have a say in what goes on in that land, and if you don't have, if you don't own land, you have it's it is much harder for you to make an impact in the community than it is if you got property spreads and you're you know and, and you're a landlord or a developer. It's just you don't have land. It's going to be harder for you. And I. Th we're just we're pretty much out of time are there any other comments questions yes I think it's, it's fascinating to me and you started this off kind of talking about the first year of teaching and, and the advice is always go in hard and you get things can change later but get everything off on the right foot and, and I read uh, Deuteronomy and Leviticus here as, as God doing that for a whole society you were going to take people and go someplace that was absolutely unpopulated, you need some ground rules. Yeah. Don't eat these things, they'll hurt you. And, and if you're going to a place that is populated, uh, like this gentleman said, we're going to get rid of everything that's from the regime, if you will, before us, whether that's their beliefs or their property, and that we're going to wipe it from history so that from going forward, this place will be place in the people of God. And you kind of see that with some of the animals, you know, God says these are safe people. He doesn't really say safe. Yeah. He says, eat these, don't eat these. And then he gives you these other few things, and the things he says don't eat are like um, 
they're predators. Yeah. The things that we need in the environment because they fill kind of a special role. And then he picks a few things that aren't predators like rabbits and says don't eat these even though they kind of fit with the theme but not exactly leave them alone, which is weird because rabbits you think are like easy prey. If you're, you know, yeah. anybody can throw it on rabbits, and they reproduce really fast. Yeah. Yeah. Fifty-year stretches in some cases, yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Hey, hey, sure, John. Hey.